The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Good morning. We are in John chapter 1, and uh, last time I spoke, we looked at the first 13 verses. This first 18 verses of John is called the prologue of John because in it, He introduces the subject of his gospel, which is Jesus Christ. And uh, let me read this to you again. We're going to read through the whole 18 verses, beginning in John 1, chapter 1. He's going to tell us today how Jesus got from eternity into the world. How did he come to be in the world? And why? Why would you move from heaven to earth? Why would you move to Brentwood to Texas or Missouri? Uh, Well, why did Jesus come from heaven to earth? Well, listen to these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being which has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or overtake it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own things, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Those two words are the same words that are found in the reading this morning in Exodus, only they're the Greek words instead of the Hebrew words, but they have this, they correspond to each other. Grace and truth or loving kindness and faithfulness. Here it's grace and truth. So there's a connection between God revealing his name and the identification of the eternal son of God. Verse 15, John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me, has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And you remember that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, and he was, John was the older cousin. But he says, he who comes after me is greater than me, because he existed before me. It's interesting that uh, Jesus, when he identifies himself throughout the Gospels, most of the time he says, I came into the world. And uh, only a couple times does he say, I was born. He came into the world. This person, this eternal person who existed from all eternity, came into the world at a particular time in history. Now, you may say that too, I came into the world, but, uh, but it's not quite the same. Uh, Jesus actually existed from all eternity. And then he came into the world. Verse 16 says, for of his fullness we have all received grace Instead of grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So we have here in this passage the word becoming flesh. The way that this is worded, you could actually say, When it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, you could actually say, and he tabernacled among us. The wording is almost identical to the wording in the Old Testament when it said that God, remember, I think it's back in chapter 25 of Exodus, he actually gave instructions to Moses about how to build him a tabernacle in which he would dwell among his people. It is really important to God that he dwell among his people. In fact, that's the definition of heaven. When heaven comes to earth, God's going to dwell in the midst of his people. And right now in the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus dwells among his people. 
it's, it's alluding back to this event when God said, all right, I will dwell among you. This is the tabernacle that you'll build me, and I will live in this tabernacle right in your midst. And then John says, no one has seen God at any time. You heard it in the text that was just read by John, that God would not allow anyone to see his face and live. And what, John, what God allowed Moses to see was his glory as he passed by and to hear his name. The only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, that's the Son. The Son is the one who dwells in the Father. He's a monogonese, a one-of-a-kind Son who's been his Son from all eternity, and he has explained him. If you want to understand God, the only way you can understand God is by coming to see Jesus Christ. We used to, we have sang a song, and probably we still do from time to time, Open the Eyes of My Heart. You know that song by Paul Beloche. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. See, we want to see Jesus Christ. We're told in the New Testament that that's the only way we can grow as Christians. The only way we can become more like Christ is to see him. And uh, not physically, but with the eyes of our heart to come to actually see him as he's revealed to us in the scriptures. High and lifted up. This glorious son of God who reveals to us who God really is. Well, in this passage, this is an amazing passage because you have this parallelism between God dwelling among his people in the Old Testament as they traveled throughout the wilderness journey. How many years? 40 years. That's a long time. You ever been on a trip like that? 40 years. And God dwells among them for 40 years. And he even manifested his presence so they would see physically that he was there. The way he manifested his presence is called, this is really a post-biblical term, but this is what it was called by the Jews after the, the scriptures were written. They called it the Shekinah. Actually, probably pronounced Shekinah, but it was the Shekinah, the, the manifest presence of God. So you remember when God, when they, when they, the way God gave them instructions on when it was time to break camp and to move is that his presence would move, the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. Now, wouldn't that be convenient? If a God led you that way, you know, I have people once in a while that talk to you and they want to know, you know, I'm trying to figure out if it's the Lord's will for me to move to someplace. And, of course, when I want to move somewhere, I want it to be the Lord's will. <laughs> right? When you want to do something, you want it to be the Lord's will. And so we have this propensity to think we see the Shekinah moving. But in Israel, when God was dwelling among his people, there was no mistaking it. They could see the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud by day. And so they knew that when they were supposed to move the camp. And so they wandered for 40 years because of their disobedience until an entire generation had died. And God raised up a new generation that went into the, the land. Well, in this case, we see the ultimate expression of the presence of God. This is the ultimate revelation of who God is. In fact, let me read to you uh, Hebrews chapter 1. The first two verses of the book of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. You know, there was first the speaking prophets, like Elijah, and then later the writing prophets, like Isaiah, who also spoke, but they wrote their prophecy down. And we have the books of the writing prophets. And he says, God spoke to us in many different ways through the prophets. But in these last days, the last days, because this is what was prophesied, in the last days, the Messiah would come. The Messiah came, and so... Uh, the Rev. Hebrews says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in a son, in such a one as a son. This is how he's spoken to us now. This is how he's revealed himself ultimately, in a son. This is the great revelation of God. And he goes on, he says, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the ages. And so Jesus Christ is this great revelation of God. 
And the way you get to know who God is, you get to know Jesus Christ. And he's the one who reveals the Father. When you read the Gospels and you read the life of Jesus and all of these uh, stories about in his life and you see Jesus living in a certain way and relating to people in a certain way and, and performing miracles, raising the dead, doing all kinds of supernatural things, you're seeing the glory of God being manifested in Jesus Christ. Now, the apostles were all Jews, and they lived with Jesus for three and a half years. What they didn't realize is they were living right in the presence of Shekinah, the very manifest presence of God. They, they finally caught it after a while. That's what was going on. This is, the, this is why uh, Peter could say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So this man, this 30-year-old man, wearing sandals and walking around the shores of Galilee, was God manifest among his people. The glorious God in the form of a human being. And they live with him for three and a half years. This, because he is the supreme revelation of God. Uh, that he's calling the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the Word. This is the way God has communicated himself to us, ultimately, through not only the written word. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain on Mount Sinai and God inscribed on the stones his word, the Ten Commandments, and he gave it to Moses. But as we heard this morning, no one could see the face of God and live. Moses would go into the presence of God in what was called the tent of meeting, the tabernacle of meeting. He would meet with God, and when he came out, his face would be shining, and he would cover it up because he didn't want them to see it fading away. And Moses had this relationship with God that God brought him into his very presence and taught him, and then he would go out and teach the people. But now the eternal Son of God has come into the world Whereas God had said to Moses, no one sees my face and live, when Jesus came on the scene, when you read the Gospels, John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that word look means gaze at him, look carefully at him, and they will be able to see the very face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, which we looked at some time ago, the God who said, let there be light, let light shine in darkness, said, cause the light of his glory to shine in my heart in the face of Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing. And so this, this part of the passage in verses 14 through 18, John is going to tell us the four reasons. He gives us four reasons, and that's not exhaustive, but he gives us four reasons that God the Father sent the Son to tabernacle among his people. He lived among his people. And you say, well, you know, I haven't seen the glory of God. Well, then you're not reading your Bible because it's in there. And when you read, the, and let me show you. You're right there in John 1. Turn over to chapter 2 and get this. This is an account of something that Jesus did, and it's a revelation of his glory. John chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, her son, they have no wine. Now, you, you know when your mother says something to you like that, she means for you to do something about it. And that's what was going on. And this is what Jesus, now remember, what's, what's going on is the bridegroom is in trouble because they've run out of wine for this wedding celebration. This would be a great shame for him to do this. And so she says to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus says to her, woman. Now that sounds like, that sounds demeaning. You'd never, I would never say to my mother, woman, stop acting like that. But it wasn't that way in the first century. When Jesus used this expression, it was a, a way that a son could speak to a mother when he wanted to get her attention and say something important to her. And so he says, woman, what does that have to do with us, with you and me? My hour has not yet come. What he means by that, let me just say a real shortcut. What he means by that is my wedding hasn't come yet. You know that Jesus is going to, there's going to be a marriage supper of the lamb, right? And every time we break bread together in communion, we, it's like a rehearsal dinner for this ultimate wedding feast that we're going to have when Jesus takes his bride, the church of Jesus Christ, and we become his bride. 
And he says, my hour hasn't come. It isn't the hour for me to buy the wine, to provide the wine for my wedding feast. That's going to happen when his hour comes, which he go, when he goes to the cross. He's going to purchase us with his own blood. And so his mother says to, to the servants, <laughs> I love this, Mary knew Jesus. And so Mary doesn't say anything more to him. She says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six stone water pots there, set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out of it and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. It's like the wine taster. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom, and he said, every man serves the good wine first, and then the people, and once the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. But then, this is what I want to get to right here, verse 11. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. This was the beginning of his signs. The supernatural things he did to validate that he was the Messiah. But then get this, it says, and he manifested his glory. He manifested his glory by his work of turning the water into wine. And the same thing is going to happen over and over again when he heals the sick, raises the dead, does the supernatural. And all of this is found in the word of God. So you can see his glory. He manifests his glory and his disciples believed in him. Jesus truly is manifesting his glory today in the lives of people. Every time he saves someone, it's a supernatural, eternal transformation that takes place. The person enters into the kingdom of God. He took us out of the kingdom of darkness and it transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. That was miraculous. That was that was a manifestation of his presence among us. This one who is God. So this coming of Jesus Christ into the world, the eternal son of God who became Jesus Christ, that became his, his human name was Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, and Christ is his title of being the anointed one that was prophesied, first of all, in Genesis 3.15. And it continued to be prophesied throughout the Old Testament that the Messiah was coming, the anointed one was coming, and he has come. And so when John says here, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. The same grace and truth that God declares is his name. Grace and truth is referring to God's character manifest to you. In fact, Paul says this. He says in, in Romans, yes, Romans chapter 5, that you have been brought into the sphere of grace, and now you're in sphered in grace. So that means that all of God's dealings with you is a manifestation of his grace. Well, what about when he lets me go through horrible times? That's a manifestation of his grace. Because he said, this is why we have this promise in Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And he goes on to prove it by telling you everything that he's been doing in your life from eternity past to eternity future. And so uh, God is full of grace and truth. And Jesus is full of grace and truth because he is the eternal son of God. And he's come into the world to display that grace and truth. Now, what I want us to do is to look at these four things that John says are the reason, the consequences of his, of his tabernacling among us. God wanted Jesus to come and tabernacle among us. At different times in our life, our children have tabernacled among us. You ever have that happen? I was talking to a friend I hadn't seen in a long time, and I was asking him how his family was. He goes, oh, they're good. I said, you have empty nest now? He said, sometimes. <laughs> but sometimes they do. Well, they want to come back and tabernacle with you, right? They want to come and live in your midst. Well, that's a wonderful thing, that they're not avoiding you and hiding from you. Well, God wanted his son to come and tabernacle among his people, to live right in their midst, 
Only his tabernacle wasn't a tabernacle like the one that God the Father had in the Old Testament. I assume that's who it was that dwelt in their midst, the Father. But he comes in a different kind of tabernacle. It's a, it's a human nature. And he comes and lives right in the midst of them. And the reason he wants to do this, notice, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, just like God the Father. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. He was born after John, but he existed from all eternity. Now, uh, in this section... This connect, there's another connection here that he dwells among us. He tabernacles among us, just like God tabernacled in the Old Testament. The Father dwelt among his people in their wilderness journey. I love the way Moses said it to him. You heard it this morning. Is he, First, God tells him, I better not go up with you because you're such an obstinate, disobedient people. I'm liable to wipe you off the face of the earth. And Moses' response is, if you don't go, I'm not going. You've got to be in our midst. I want to tell you something. That's the attitude you ought to have by Jesus about Jesus Christ. You can't live the Christian life without Christ. Jesus Christ is the Christian life. He is our salvation. It isn't that you believed a set of facts and therefore you qualify to be a saved person. Now you can go and live your life. No, salvation is in Christ. You've got to get in Jesus and stay in Jesus. And that happens when you put your trust in him. The Spirit of God joins you to Christ and you're in Christ. And in Christ you're safe. Because he's the Savior. And that's where you got to stay in order to grow, to be in Christ. I, I love the fact that in the Old Testament, when it talks about the glory of God, the, the word is kavoth, and it means heaviness, that God is substantial. There's something to him. He is big and glorious. In the New Testament, when it talks about a glory doxa, we sing doxologies and so forth. It's talking about the manifest glory of God has come among his people in the person of Christ. And they saw his glory. And they were forever changed. And you know, when God opens your eyes, he gives you the eyes of your heart, the ability to see Christ. It changes you forever. You, you, that will change you forever when your eyes are really open to Christ. And it really is more than believing a little outline. It's putting your trust in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the world and dwelt among his people. What a, what a wonderful uh, truth about Jesus Christ, that he is full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth, that all of his dealings with you is a manifestation of his grace. You know what you need from Jesus every day? You need him. <laughs> That's what you need. You need Christ. You can't live without Christ. And he has brought you into this place, this sphere of grace. Uh, Steve Fernandes came up with that phrase, we are ensphered in grace, based on, on uh, Romans chapter 5. We're ensphered in it. All of God's dealings with us are manifestations of his grace. He gives himself to us. God poured himself into the Son, and the Son pours himself out into our lives. And we experience God through Jesus Christ. Now, he manifests his glory. Does that mean he shined or something? We do have one occasion on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus uh, was quite was shining. <laughs> it's like they couldn't hardly keep their eyes on him because he and Elijah and Moses are together. But most of the time they were with Jesus. He wasn't shining. There was no light emanating from him. What they saw manifested by him was his life as he spoke and as he acted and as he did the things that he did. And that's what we need every day. We need to walk with Christ. We need to have the kind of relationship with him that we actually notice as we read the word and we see it played out in our lives that Christ is with us, that we're living in his presence, and that he goes with us. Remember when he told his disciples, he said in Matthew 28, go, as you're going, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have 
taught you. And then he says, and lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. I'll be with you. Now that meant something to them because they had been with him for three and a half years and he's about to go to the cross. But he makes this promise to them, I'll be with you throughout this entire process. And that's what he's promised you, believer, as you come to faith in him, that he'll be with you. Now, the second reason that he gives is that we, so that we could receive his fullness. In verse 16, John writes, for of his fullness, we have all received and grace, quite literally grace instead of grace. In other words, you turn in one grace and you get another grace. There's an old hymn I heard uh, from Seventh-day Adventist saying, I'd never heard this song. It was on the radio, and they were singing this song. Grace upon grace like waves on a shore, always enough, always more. I love that. But this is something even more subtle right here. In fact, it tells us in the next, next verse, it gives us an explanation. Um, in, in verse 16, it gives us the explanation because of his fullness, we have received grace instead of grace. And then he gives another explanation, verse 17, because the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. What did we, how did we receive grace for grace? We received Christ. The law was fulfilled in Christ. And now we have received Christ. And so as John says, the way that God directs you and gives you commandments is no longer with a, a commandments written on a stone that you carry around, but it's Christ. It's the commands of Christ that are brought home to your heart through the word and through the spirit, enlivening those commands to you. Isn't it funny how as Christians we want to obey Christ? And that's the most disappointing thing in life when we fail to obey him. That's because we have received grace in the place of grace. It was grace for God to give the Old Testament saints the law. That was grace. But he has given us something so much greater and so much more glorious, and that is his will through this person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he tells his disciples uh, not only to baptize them, identify them with me, but also to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so as you live your Christian life and the Holy Spirit brings to your mind and your heart the reality of what you've seen in his word about how you're to love people, to give yourself away, to lay down your life for one another. Or here's a good command that I should always be reminding you of. You've been commanded, according to, first, according to the book of Hebrews, that every time you come together as the people of God in a meeting like this, you're supposed to come prepared to incite one another to love and good deeds. That means he has an appointment for you this morning when you're with the people of God. There's actually somebody here that he wants you to encourage that he wants you to speak into their lives. There there are people here that need another believer to come alongside them and actually speak truth and encouragement into their life. That's a commandment of Jesus. And the Spirit will empower you to do that very thing. And so uh, we... We, this, the reason that Jesus came and dwelt among us, tabernacle among us, the second reason is so that we would receive his fullness. We'd receive the fullness of Christ. This is why legalism will kill a church. When people think that what they're supposed to do is to go back under the law and begin to live according to the law. There's a lot of groups like that today in Christianity that are, are going back and keeping the festivals and, and all those kind of things, thinking that that's true spirituality. But you have to remember, the reason for those festivals was to point to Christ. And guess where Christ is? He's inside of you. He dwells in his people. And so we're not, we don't have to keep a festival. We have Christ. At the Feast of Tabernacles, they did two great things. They would, the, the, they would carry water from the pool of Siloam by the, by Shiloh, by the, um, the priest would bring water and bring it back to the temple, pour it out, and it was to commemorate the fact that God provided water for them as they traveled for 40 years in the desert. And then the second thing they did was they had this huge candelabra that they would light, and it would literally illuminate the city at night. These huge, large candelabra. And that was to commemorate the fact that God provided light for them. 
as they travel through the wilderness. The Shekinah glory, when they, were, when they were traveling at night, they had some better than flashlights. They had the Shekinah, they had the glory of God moving, and they would move with him. But the, that, the reason for that was that the Feast of Tabernacles was to commemorate the fact that the Messiah was coming and he would be their, their water of life and their light. And here's Jesus sitting there as they're commemorating, they're commemorating him and they don't even know it. They're celebrating what God is going to do through him. And that's why it says in John seven thirty seven, the last day, the great day of the feast, when they weren't doing any of these things, it was the end of this uh, feast, and Jesus cries out with a loud voice, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who is believing in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, not just to meet your thirst, to quench your thirst, but to pour out of you into the lives of other people. So all the festivals are a commemoration of what Jesus was going to do. And he's done it. He's done it. And so we don't have to go back and live in Old Testament garb and keep the Old Testament law and keep the Old Testament festivals because we have entered into this new grace, grace instead of grace. He's given us Christ. And he's everything we need. He's everything we need. There's not a need in your life right now, whatever you're facing. Maybe you're facing something really scary. I want to tell you, there is nothing that you need beyond Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how to vote. Here's how to vote. When you go in to vote, you pray that God would help you to do this in a way that would glorify him. Just between you and him, I want to please you. I want to do this in an honorable way. I simply want to act I want to fulfill my obligations in life, my responsibilities in life in a way that will please you. Because guess who is in charge? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to live all of life, including things like that, everything that we do. We want to do it in a way that is in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and we experiencing us experiencing his fullness. The word tabernacled among us so that we could behold his glory, receive his fullness. And then verse 17, it says that so that we could experience his excellence. Experience his excellence. Look at that. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. See, God proclaimed that he had grace and truth to Moses that we heard this morning. But it's realized in Jesus Christ. He is the manifest presence of God. And you say, well, we don't see him now. No, he's living inside of you. He's living inside of you. First John 1, this is the testimony, John says. What testimony? The testimony of the Father. The testimony of the Father is this, that he has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So he is the very life and presence of God in the believer. And you have him living within you. We are, we are experiencing his excellence. From his fullness, we've all received grace instead of grace. And what that means is you've received something so incredibly glorious that you can't even imagine it. Sometimes we read the Bible and think, man, I wish I lived back then. I say, no, you ought to be happy you're living today because you're living in the time when the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, is living in, inside of every single believer. He's always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he's with you. I don't care what you're facing. He's with you. And he gives you, he is the one who sheds light on all men. You want to know what a person's really like? Compare him to Jesus Christ. Let the light of Christ shine on that person, and it will reveal the truth about them. That's why, you know, we're not all much. I mean, it's like, we ain't much, are we? But Jesus Christ lives in us. Jesus Christ lives in us. So this grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ is what replaces the earlier display of grace in the law. And this covenant of law was a gracious gift from God that he gave to his people for a very good purpose. But now it's been replaced by a much greater outpouring of grace, the grace and truth embodied in Jesus Christ. 
Does this grace and truth completely replace the law? Well, the Old Testament scriptures pointed forward and Jesus fulfills them. They pointed to Jesus and Jesus fulfills them. The old covenant prophesied of Christ, for example, Matthew eleven thirteen, it prophesied of Christ and he arrived and it was displaced. That's what Galatians 4, 6 says, that Jesus has displaced that which was a promise of him. Now you have the promise. He's here. He is in you. He lives in you. And he accomplishes his purposes in you. Now, the law is a continual pointer to what was predicted. Uh, its, its valid authority lies primarily in that which is announced, and that which is announced has arrived. Jesus has arrived. And so you go back and read Genesis 3.15, the very first expression of the gospel, the proto-euangelion, the pre-evangel of God, when he says to the serpent, he says to the serpent, your seed will crush the seed of the, he will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman will crush your head. That was a promise from from the very first that God was going to send one who could crush Satan, who could bruise the head of Satan. And who was that? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has come. And so you're no longer helpless. You're no longer without strength. You have Christ, and he's everything that you need. John magnifies this fresh grace coming from Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the, the grace that they were anticipating comes in through the word of God, the eternal word, the eternal son of God who came into the world. I mean, think of this. When, when you compare what we received in Christ with what Moses received for the people, when he went up on the mountain and God engraved the stones with his law, that was a wonderful gift. It was a gift of grace. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This was a brand new revelation. There were no people on the face of the earth who believed there was one God who was the creator and sustainer of all things. But God reveals that to Moses and therefore to the people. That was a glorious thing. But we've received something better than the stone tablets. We have received the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. God come in the flesh. And now he's come to live in you. And so the word tabernacle among us so that we could behold his glory, receive his fullness, and experience his excellence. If you, you know, if somebody was to ask you, so you're a Christian, do you experience Jesus Christ? What would you say? What would you say if they asked you that? Do you experience Jesus Christ? Well, what should happen is it should kind of shake you and say, I should be. He's living in me. And when I come to his word and I actually ask the Father to open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I can see you high and lifted up. When Jesus does that, when, he, when the Father causes the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ to shine in your heart, he gives you this ability to actually have the, a relationship with Christ. And that's what he wants. That's why he came and tabernacled among us. And now he's tabernacling among us in a different way. He's living in the church of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, the, which, who mediates the presence of Christ and the Father. And it says that we as a church, we also are a tabernacle in which God dwells corporately. And so we are a blessed, blessed people. And that's how we're to live. We're to live in light of that very truth that we can receive of his fullness. And then the last thing, the fourth thing is found in verse 18, where where John writes, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, the monogenes God, referring in the context of the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God who became a man, who is in the bosom of the father. He has explained him. Quite literally, uh, the, the Greek word there is exegeted. He has exegeted him. Exegesis means when you look at a text and you draw the meaning of it out, you pay attention to it, and you dig into it, you discover what it means. Well, guess who exegeted God? The Son, the eternal Son of God. He is the one who reveals him. He reveals God. 
And what, what he reveals the Father to us and what God wants, the reason he saved you, the reason he brought you to the place where you put your faith in Jesus Christ is so that you could come to know him as Father. In fact, this is so important to the Father that you know him as Father. You know him as Father. Now, none of us have had a perfect Father. Some of us had really good fathers. Some of us had really poor fathers. But the fact is, the ultimate Father is the living God, and he's the perfect Father. And he actually wants you to know him as Father, to the point that he actually sent his, the Spirit of God into, the, into your heart to cry out, Abba, Father. That is, to fill your awareness that God is your Father, that you can speak to him any time as a Father. You can bear your soul to him. You can be transparent with him. In other words, John says, you can walk in the light with God. That's how you have fellowship with him. And so he wants us, the coming of Jesus Christ brought us to this place, this one who is in the bosom of the Father. He is the most intimate with him, and he's the one who reveals the Father to us. Remember when he told Moses, he said, I'll let you see my afterglow, but you can't see my face because no one can see my face and live. But Jesus Christ reveals the Father to us. He reveals his face to us. Oh, I don't mean we're going to have a vision of the face of God. I mean he shows us the person revealed. Jesus reveals the Father to us in our daily life. Remember in Isaiah 6, when, when Isaiah went into the temple... And he said that that the presence of the Lord was there, was glorious, that the train of his robe filled the temple. You know what the word train is? It's the word hem. The hem of his garment filled the temple. God's so glorious, he's so big and so massive, and yet he manifests his presence right there, and Moses saw him. And then in, in John chapter 12, John tells us what he saw was the glory of the sun. He saw the glory of the Son of God when he was in that temple with God. God wants to be known by you. He wants you to know him. That's why he gave you such a thick book. I switched Bibles. I mean, look at this thing. My, I switched, this, this is a newer version, the old one I had, but this weighs about a half pound more and it's about half inch thicker. It's almost too big to carry. It looks like I'm carrying an encyclopedia. But he gave you this entire book, 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. The reason he gave you this book is so you could come to know him. He gave you this book and he gave you the author to live within you. The Holy Spirit's living in you and he wants to open your eyes to the truth of who he is and what his glorious will for your life is. He wants you to actually know him and live in fellowship with him. Live with him as a father, treat him as a father, respond to him as a father because he's your father. He is your father. And so Jesus comes in the world so that we could know God because he knows God really well and he can, he can make it known to you who the, what the father's really like, who the father really is. Someone has explained God. In the Old Testament, no one could see God's face and live, but now someone's explained God and it's the son and he's revealed him. As God incarnate, he expressed God in a way that there could be no other way. There's no other way. This is the, this is the, this is the wisdom of God that God says, I want my people to know me, so I'm going to send my son and become one of them to tabernacle right in their neighborhood. I mean, he's going to go and live right in the midst of them so that he can reveal who I am to my people. And now he lives in you, and he continues to empower you to know the Father as the Father. So when we pray, Jesus told us we can address the Father as Father in the name of Jesus. We can actually come to him. I, when, I, when I come to, to a service like this, I can actually pray and ask the Father, Father, work in my heart so that the person that you bring into my path today, that you want me to encourage, that you want me to speak into their life, Give me the ability to do that. Give me the ability to speak into their life and encourage them about who they are in your eyes and who you are to them. I think it's one of the most amazing truths in the world is who you are to God. 
If you read the Bible, you discover that you are precious to him. In fact, there's a, there's a way of expressing in the Old Testament, the King James, it was, we were called, the people of God were called a peculiar people. But that word peculiar didn't mean weird. It meant uniquely his. That expression peculiar would refer to things that uniquely belong to you and nobody else. You know what I mean? Like your toothbrush. Like the, 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 that shirt that you wear that your wife's trying to throw away and you keep retrieving it. Is peculiar as well. We are his peculiar people in that sense. We belong to him alone. And he wants us to know him. And he went to such an extent that he would send his own son into the world so that we could know him. And that's what he did. Uh, the rest of this book tells us how the son, the word made flesh, narrated and exegeted God. And I want you to see this um, the word tabernacle among us so that we could behold his glory. And that means that we don't have to worship idols. We can worship the true and living God. There are people all over the world today, think about it, that are worshiping idols. In the midst of all kinds of tragedies, that's the only one they have to turn to is the idols that they bow down to. But because he has come and we beheld his glory, and we continue to behold his glory in his word, then we can worship him, the true and living God, and worship through him. We can worship the Father in the power of the Spirit. Secondly, he, he received his full, he, he came so that we would receive his fullness, that we would drink from him. Jeremiah 7, where he says uh, he condemns the people of Israel for drinking from broken cisterns. They no longer come to the well, which is God, but instead they, keep, they want to drink from their cisterns. That is these vessels they have dug out of the ground, and they're going to put their water in that because they don't want to trust God. You, you understand that when God brought his people into Israel, what he did to them, he put them in a position where they had to trust him. For the, for the former and latter rain. They didn't have irrigation system. They had to pray and ask God to bring the rain, the early rain and the latter rain. And God did that. And they were dependent upon him. And so they worshiped him. And so we receive his fullness. We no longer have to drink from broken cisterns. That is the idols that we create. What's going to give me everything I need in life? Getting an education? Getting a certain kind of job or career? No, the true vessel from which we drink this fountain of living waters is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we receive his fullness by drinking deeply from Christ. And then third, experience his excellence. Live by the grace of God and not our works. I don't have to earn anything to receive from God. He gives himself freely to us. And I have to receive from him by faith. I live by his grace, receiving from him what I don't even deserve and I could never earn. And then finally, uh, in order to understand, he came so that we would understand the father. Uh, I'm supposed to live as a son and not an orphan. In other words, this is where I belong in the household of faith. I belong in the presence of God. This is home. We're with the people of God, worshiping the true and living God. In Jude, Jude tells us that it, this is what we have to do as the people of God in order to live within the framework of and the manifestation of the love of God for us. We have to be building one another up in the most holy faith, praying in the holy, praying together in the Holy Spirit, and waiting with a joyful anticipation of the coming of Christ. That's what we traffic in. When we get together, that's what we're supposed to talk about. When we come together, we're supposed to be building each other up in the most holy faith, encouraging each other. Trust God. You ever have somebody tell you something and you could, you could tell what they're having a trouble with is they're, a trouble, they're having real trouble trusting God because they're going through something and they don't have a clue what they're going to do next. Can you encourage them that they can trust the living God? Can you quote to them Romans 8.32? If he gave you his son, will he not also with him freely give you all things? You have a need? I want you to know that God will meet that need, and maybe he's going to meet it through you.
Maybe you're talking to somebody and they're telling you about this horrible thing they're about to face and you say, I believe God can empower me to help you in this situation. That's what he's called us to do. And so I just want to encourage you that a God has done something so glorious in sending his son into the world and sending his son into your life. Not only has he tabernacled among us 2,000 years ago with his disciples who wrote this book and give us all this revelation about Christ, but he's also come to live within you. And this abundant supply that comes from Christ comes from the very heart of who you are. You have Christ living in you. You can trust him. And you can live by faith, which means I can live trusting Christ to meet my need. Uh, as a, as a, uh, when I started taking, teaching the Bible seriously, I can still remember the fear I would, I would always prepare with. I'd have 20 times as much material as I needed. That's why when I would teach something, I would go on and on and on and on because I thought it was all up to me. I got to dump them up a truckload of truth. Some of you have lived under that. <laughs> and, uh, and then I can remember those times when God put me in, position, in situations where I just couldn't prepare. I was just all of a sudden thrust into a situation where I had to teach the Bible. And I found, wow, it's amazing how he can supply your need. How he can empower you to do what he's called you to do. It's really him, isn't it? It's really him. Now, it's, it's wonderful that he's bestowed us with so many wonderful gifts. But don't trust the gifts. Trust the giver. Trust the giver. When sometimes he takes a gift away, he's the giver. And he can give you exactly what you need in great abundance. So would you stand with me? Let me pray for us. Our Father, we recognize our great need of knowing Christ. I am so aware that I have no greater need than that of truly knowing Christ and walking with Christ, living by faith in Christ. We thank you, Father, that you've supplied for us what we could never supply for ourselves. You've given us a Savior. You've given us your very Son to come and live within us, to give us life, to give us forgiveness, to bring us into the family of God. So I pray that you would... Uh, open the eyes of our heart and let us see Christ. I pray that every day that would be our pursuit, that we would want to know how we could come to see him in the everyday things of life, that we would see Christ. We would be held captive by him. Father, please open our eyes and open our understanding that we could live in profound and deep faith in this one who is totally trustworthy He's full of grace and truth. We thank you for him, the great gift you've given us. Help us to live in response to him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.